Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. Uh, my name's Jesse Horney. I'm one of the pastors in our Redemption Hill community, and so glad to be here with you guys this morning. If you've been around the last few weeks, you know that uh, Robert's been spending a lot of time talking about the function of church, who we are as the church, our mission as the church, as individuals, as a group, and um, he's really good at the 30,000 view, 30,000 foot view of things. Robert is visionary uh, but I really wanted to turn the focus a little bit this week and get into a question that I've been thinking about a lot as he's been preaching you know he keeps using this word gospel saturation these words have you guys heard him say that the last few weeks like the gospel in every part of the city every neighborhood every school and that is obviously the goal. <laughs> it's why we're here at all. But when I'm sitting there listening to that, I think to myself, well, how do we define the gospel? Like, what do we mean? And if we all took a poll and had to write down what we think the gospel means, I wonder how similar our definitions would be. And if we're, as a collective, being invited into getting the gospel into every part of the city. It feels pretty crucial to me that we understand what we're trying to get into every part of the city. We can't set a mission in front of us and not have any idea what the mission means and then expect each other to go. So we're going to come way down into the nitty-gritty today. And I'm going to ask you to really think about the gospel. When we use the word the gospel, when we say the good news, what do you think it means? And I actually want you to think about it for a second. If you had to describe it to me. You got it? Okay. What's the gospel? Somebody tell me. Or as you understand it. The story of Jesus' life. That God has come near. Salvation. God is Lord. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Okay, Jesus' great rescue mission for his people. This is all true. None of you are wrong. 
But if I said, okay, go ahead and take that to your neighbor, how would you do it? Hello, salvation. <laughs> Hello, did you know Jesus came to rescue the world? There's so much wrapped up in this story of why we needed Jesus in the first place that we tend to turn it into a little, um, I mean, quite literally sometimes, a little booklet of information. And we're like, if we can just get this into the hands of the people, they'll follow Jesus. But then I was thinking, if the gospel is salvation, or like the way I grew up thinking, you know, like the four spiritual laws, or Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, then what was the gospel before Jesus died? Because Jesus' ministry happened before Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think we would all say, yes, Jesus was giving good news. But what was the good news he was giving if that story hadn't happened yet? The kingdom of God has arrived. What's going to happen when I say that to my neighbor? It's true. We're going to look at how Jesus gave that message to lots of different people and how Jesus shows us what the gospel is to us and to the people that we love. I'm going to read so much Bible today, okay? So you probably want your Bible out. I'm going to read an NLT, and I'm going to get into Luke to start. And the first thing that I want you to pay attention to as I'm reading you can get out earphones, whatever. We're going to um, start in Luke 4, and I want you to be looking for any kind of good news. Just anything that sounds good to people, okay? Luke 4, 14. Then, after Jesus had been tempted by the devil and... Uh, beats the devil, beats every temptation we'll ever have. He returns to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked on him intently. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can they be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. 
Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown, like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, none of the Israelite widows. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one he healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Jesus is saying, I came for everybody. And guess what? When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And there, too, people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched, and then it came out of him without hurting him any further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possessed. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. I'm going to go to chapter 5, verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met with a man with an advanced case of leprosy, which is a horrible skin disease. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. And immediately the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you, like to declare you clean. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. One day while Jesus was teaching, <clears throat> some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And then the Lord's healing power was strong with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd, so they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, 
and went home praising God. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we've seen amazing things today. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. This is like a few weeks of Jesus' life, maybe a day, we don't know. All of these things are happening wherever he goes. What kind of good news did you hear in these stories? From what? Mm-hmm. People are healed. Hope is given. What else was good news? If you're one of these people, what's good news to you? He forgave someone's sins. It's pretty good news. Being included. Can you go to that good news slide? Here's just a few things that I noticed. Good news. Inclusion. He starts by saying, I didn't just come for the juice. We ended this watching him have dinner with tax collectors who were despised people. Think about how you feel about tax collectors and multiply that by a million. That's who he's having dinner with and with prostitutes and with people of ill repute. Everyone was invited to the table. We see him casting out demons. If you're filled with a demon, is getting a demon cast out good news? Yeah. We see healing even on the Sabbath. We see him teaching with authority. This felt like good news to the people, to see someone teaching with authority. We see that all through the gospel. Every time he did it, people are like blown away at how he's teaching. That really strikes me. It makes me wonder how the other people were teaching. Because something about the way that Jesus got up and read the scriptures felt different. He's eating and drinking with friends. He's healing the lame. He's giving sight to the blind. He's giving freedom to captives. Everything that Jesus did was good news. The kingdom has come is the good news, but it's good news because when the kingdom comes, the things that are wrong are put to right. It's not just this like esoteric idea, this big idea of something we can't imagine, an invisible kingdom, and we're supposed to somehow cling to that and that has to be enough. Jesus made it real in the lives of the people that he was with. He gave actual good news. You have a demon, now you don't. You were blind, now you can see. 
people were throwing stones at you, now they're not. You didn't have enough to eat, now you do. This is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus makes this really big claim. Um, Margie were kind of alluding to it in um, Joel, that slide with um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he opens the scroll to Isaiah and he reads this ancient promise. Like these words would have been very familiar to his audience because the audience in the synagogue are Jews and they're uh, they come and listen to the scripture all the time. And he opens it and reads these verses. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he defines it. Isaiah defines it. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a really important step in the gospel, the gospel, the good news, where we have to understand it in a deeply personal way. Because yes, the kingdom is coming, has come, yet to come. All things are being made right. This is a global promise. But also Jesus makes it so intensely specific and personal to everyone that he encounters. And he does the same in our lives. So asking ourselves about the gospel really means that we're asking ourselves, what has God set me free from? Where has he given me new sight? Because he's not just talking about someone who can physically see. He's talking about spiritual blindness as well. Where has he removed your spiritual blindness what oppression has he lifted from your shoulders? We have to know the good news, what the good news of Jesus means to us, or we'll never even be willing to tell the good news to someone else. If the good news feels like a chore, if you have some of the same feelings uh, that I had as a kid, I, I just used this example the other day. Remember when they used to tell us, you, you have to tell people about Jesus. Imagine if you were the only one that knew the cure for cancer. Wouldn't you tell everyone? You know, and then you just go back to school the next day and be like, all these people are going to die if I don't tell them about Jesus. There was so much pressure behind it, and I did not understand that the good news of Jesus attached to my life is what made it good news to the people in my life. My life is the good news. And then, then the people experienced Jesus. Jesus came and did good things, and that was the good news because it meant that the kingdom was reversing everything. But for us to join in on that, that means that we have to let God reverse the sin in us. Repentance means that we turn, right? We turn away from it. So what did Jesus save me from? My sin, my bondage to my own way, and a way that never brought joy or peace, just struggle and exhaustion and anger. And Jesus saved you from your sin too. That's liberty from oppression. But I was reading, you guys, 
I really had my mind blown last night. <laughs> I was reading all these verses in Luke, <clears throat> and I'm going to go back into Luke right now, and I really want you to read it with me. It's Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is probably a really familiar story. The title on the top is The First Disciples. (laughs) One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So we sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. The way that I've understood the gospel, and I think the way that we've spent a long time teaching the gospel, is backwards in this story. I'm going to cry during this part because this is just like really shook me. When we think about the gospel and the story of Jesus, if we were going to tell this story, we would go to Simon and say, do you know that you sin?" Do you recognize the sin in your life? There's someone who can bring you healing, and then good things are going to come. That's the gospel. Make sure they know that they're sinful, and then give them the answer. But Jesus did it opposite. Jesus went to fishermen who hadn't caught anything, and that's bad news to a fisherman. It's how they support their family. And he filled up their boats with fish. So much fish that the boats were going to sink. They didn't ask for the fish. They didn't say, we didn't catch anything. Please, God, help us. He just filled up their boats with fish. And what was Simon's response to that? Oh, go away from me. I'm so full of sin. Because when Jesus comes with good news, we immediately recognize the truth about ourselves. You cannot encounter the person of Jesus and not recognize what's in your heart. And then what does Jesus say to Simon? Well, are you really sorry? (laughs) And you're never going to sin again? Are you ready to be good now and I'll keep giving you fish? He says, don't be afraid. 
Simon comes to Jesus and says, I am so full of sin. Please go away from me. And Jesus' response is, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. He gives them a new identity. He gives them a new calling. So they brought their boats back to land, and they left everything, and they followed him. This is the way of Jesus. This is the good news. Jesus healed people before they decided to follow him. Jesus invited a tax collector to follow him without saying, but you have to stop doing everything you've done. Jesus' good news is an invitation to follow his way. And his way is good. We don't have to be so, so busy with the gospel convincing people that something's wrong. That good news that we saw Jesus bring over and over again was only good news because this world is so full of bad news. <laughs> and everybody knows it. We all experience it. I have a list of bad news, Joel. It, it doesn't say it, but <laughs> you'll recognize it. <laughs> Uh, this is a quote from one of my favorite poets. Um, it's hard being a person. <laughs> I remember reading that in high school and being like, <laughs> someone understands me. <laughs> the world is full of bad news. Some of it's really big bad news. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, worry, addiction, hard family relationships, divorce, spiritual trauma, sickness, pain, Poverty, abuse, loss, war, death. Some of it is these little, little worries that we carry around with us in a way that just completely wears us down. We're worried about money. You hate your job. You feel left out. You're angry all the time or you're sad all the time. You're just confused about your life, wondering if you matter. Marriage is hard. Singleness is hard. Parenting is hard. Infertility is hard. Why can't I have what I want? The kingdom of God had to come because the kingdom of darkness was already here. And it is not our job to convince people of the kingdom of darkness. I promise you that the kingdom of darkness is doing a good enough job for us. People are sad. People are lonely. Life is hard. That is why the gospel matters, because we can't reverse things on our own. We can't fill up our boats with fish. We can't forgive our own sins. We cannot heal our paralytic friends. But there is someone who can, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus changed everything, everything. And he gave good news before our de definition of good news even existed. Now we have a fuller picture. Now we understand why he could do these things. Those people were just amazed. And they were kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. They wanted the good news to get even bigger. They wanted Rome to be overthrown. They wanted Jesus to be a king who sat on an earthly throne. But then he did the best thing of all. We saw it a little bit in the beginning when he faced those temptations. 
but then he takes the truest human journey by dying. This stuff feels like bad news because in our heart of hearts, we understand that someday this will end. And we wonder what we will have left behind and we wonder why it all mattered in the first place. But Jesus faced that down. And the people who knew Jesus when he was alive, they didn't know that and they didn't understand it. And I don't understand it. But I do know that Jesus has absolutely transformed my life. And so when I encounter people in the world, when I encounter you, I can tell you the things that Jesus has done for me, and then I can invite you to trust him to do the same. And that's good news. We can't give the gospel away if we haven't taken the gospel for ourselves. And when we understand the gospel for ourselves, we have to be able to give it some language. So we're going to do it together today. We're going to practice remembering the things that God has done in our lives. And maybe for some of you, this is the first time that you've really thought about it. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, actually, Jesus has never done anything for me. And I wonder... I wonder if maybe today is a day when Jesus is going to show you the things that he wants to do for you. What would be really good news for you today? So we're going to write down our boatloads of fish story. If Simon was writing this, he might say, Once I was full of sin and afraid. Then I met Jesus, <laughs> and he filled my boat with fish, and invited me to follow him. So I did. And now I'm full of courage and hope while I fish for men. And we might end that story by saying what we know about Simon Peter, this scared fisherman, was that Jesus built the church on him. That guy. <laughs> I um, asked some people that I disciple to think about this earlier in the week so that we would have some examples. But I also have a slide. Yeah. So, I, guys, I'm, I'm really going to ask you to do this. Like, get out your phone, get out a piece of paper, and you're going to do these two steps. Describe your life in two words or phrases before following Jesus. And then describe your life in two words or phrases afterward. <coughs> I don't have one of these. I have a thousand of these in my life. When I was little, the things that Jesus transformed in me, in my teenage years, the things that Jesus transformed in me, big sins that God has drawn out of me, big calls that God has put on my life. We live in a life of constant transformation. That guy in the boat with the fish was not ready to have the church built on him. He followed Jesus closely for three years and spent his whole life dedicated to the mission of the gospel, Simon Peter. And his life continued to transform and transform and transform. And that's our life too. So when I'm saying understanding the gospel, the good news in your life, I'm not saying that one moment at summer camp where you were like, yeah, okay. 
I'm saying we've got to remember the way that we were and remember the one who changed us because that's the good news to your neighbor. A transformed life is the biggest miracle that ever existed. We can, we can say we got healed from diseases. We can, we can say science did it. We, there's so many other reasons that we could give for other miracles in 2024. We can excuse them all. But you cannot excuse away a transformed life. Human beings don't change on their own. So think about this. Get into this for a minute. I'm going to invite the band back up here to play a little bit while we think about this. And then you guys, I'm going to pass around the mic. And we're going to practice telling our good news to each other. Mostly we're going to say it because we're going to praise God for it. And we're going to collectively celebrate what God has done in us as a people, as individuals, as family. So take a few minutes and think about this, and then Andrew is going to walk around with the mic. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's us. And recovering of sight to the blind. That's us. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's us. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's now. So let's celebrate together. If you want to tell us how has God transformed you, and I know a few of you are going to because I told you you had to, <laughs> raise your hand and Andrew will come to you. Hey, I'm Joe. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do the two words thing because I don't know how to do that, but um, I'll just say, uh, some of you guys know my story a little bit. My dad left when I was a baby, um, and I think I just was striving for to be accepted and to be loved and to be known, um, probably for my whole childhood, without honestly, without even knowing it. Um, met Jesus in college, and a couple years later, I had a pretty public and humiliating failure. Um, and I remember going home, being in the bottom of my bed, just by myself, end of the night, um, crying, thinking my mom doesn't understand me, my friends don't understand me, nobody gets me, I'm completely kind of alone in this situation. And I remember Jesus, I just felt his presence with me um, in that place at that time when I probably just needed him the most. Um, and so I think ever since then it's just been, I know no matter what I do, even if I suck or if I'm amazing, um, that Jesus just loves me the same and he's going to be there with me at the bottom of my bed at the end of the night. Um, and yeah, he's never going anywhere. So. Thanks, Joan. Thank you, Lord. Um, uh, whew, I think for a long time, even when I was a kid, I had this lie that I had to control my life and make it something beautiful because no one else would. I was alone is the lie I thought. Um, and it was just all up to me. Like I was responsible for making something beautiful. So I have to work so hard. I cannot mess up. I just have to be perfect in everything. 
because it's just on me. And I think God, uh, through my life, but it's been this like show, slow shift. He's just constantly showing me like, no, my daughter, you are beloved. You can trust in me. You are never alone. And I have good things in store for you. Thank you, Ketty, and thank you, Jesus. I'm Jesse. Um, mine is the lie that I'm not worth anything unless I do things right. I'm not enough for you if I'm not doing things well. But the Lord said, you're beloved, like Getty said. You're enough just because I love you, which means that I have freedom to do the things that he's asking me to do, and I don't have to do them well. Thanks, Jesse, and thank you, Jesus. Um, I'll go up here. Um, I I used to believe that I wasn't safe enough to let myself be seen by others and known by others, and not capable, not capable enough to lead at all. Um, but God showed me that in Him I am fully known, fully seen fully understood and in fact he made me this way in his image and that he's pleased with me and that he adores me as his daughter and that means I am safe and free to be what he's made me to be and also that I don't have to worry about leading because he's leading and I just listen and do what he says thanks Malia and thank you Jesus I'll go. I'll go. Okay. I have and then March had her hand up. Okay. I think I was born born a Pharisee. Uh, I just came from an early age. I just felt myself constantly trying to earn people's favor and earn God's favor and have cyclically just wound myself up in that. And then Jesus just holds me, and it all goes away. It's not words, but there's just this affirmation that he just freely gives in like the peak of those moments that sets me free from earning anything. Thanks, Andrew. And thank you, Jesus. March. Okay, so one of the lies that I've believed most of my life is that I am alone. Um, God has defined that in different ways over the years, and he's given me freedom from that in different ways. But the most recent one is that I'm alone in the battle. That, And it's really a lie that I've been living, believing for about 20 years as I was reflecting on it this morning, getting ready to share. Um, and... What he has shown me is that I am his daughter. And that means the daughter of a king. 
and I have all of the resources of the king behind me in the battle. I have an army, I have armor. And specifically, I have the sword of the spirit. And that's really the picture that he's been given me. And so it's, I, I, I love how God just takes one light and he continually, continually reveals and refines and transforms and changes my mindset. Thanks, Marge. Thank you, Father. <laughs> I told Jesse I was not going to do this. I lied, apparently. For um, sin number one, you're forgiven. Well, thank you. There's more to come. I believed two things when I was young. One was that uh, I was on my own. And two, that I could handle it. I could be independent. I, I could find a way through this. I'm, uh, I'm a hard worker. I'm fairly bright. I read a lot. Um, that left me lonely and anxious. And uh, this, is, this is what the Lord did to me this morning, uh, like Marge was sharing. He said, look at Jesse up there. Look at Jesse up there. You weren't alone. I'm, I, one of my great frustrations and a source of great anxiety was having seven children. Who in their right mind has seven children? It's just, it's insanity. Well, it, it was God's way of making me deal with the reality that the kingdom of God has arrived. I don't need to be enough. I don't need to be anxious about anything. And I'm not on my own. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Um, earlier, uh, I wasn't really praying, and then at youth camp with another church I went to, I got rebaptized, and after that, uh, God's really been moving through me, and I've been praying a lot more and talking to him, and that's felt really good, knowing him better. That's good news, Tad. Thank you. I grew up with Christ like all my life and for a long time I just went there learning the stories and just being like all right this guy's pretty cool and learning about him and these last couple of years being in the youth and getting to a closer connection reading the Bible and finally reading it and understanding it it makes me see things in the world that I hadn't seen before and uh, I've been reading through Luke through a Bible plan with Andrew and uh, reading Luke 7 and all of the things that Jesus followed earlier this week at school, like in the Bible, in that chapter, in that book, 
It talks about love your enemies as you love yourself. Offer, if they ask for your coat, offer your shirt as well and things like that. There was this kid at school who was just really getting on my nerves. And I just kept thinking about that part of the Bible and how he said those things, love your enemies as you love yourself. So, and it just gave me the power to not just lose my mind with him because <laughs> he was driving me insane. That's good news, Oliver. <laughs> Welcome back, kids. The gospel for us is the same as it was for Simon that day on the boat, that when we encounter Jesus, he invites us to follow him. But also, when we encounter Jesus, we will encounter our own sin. And we'll see it so clearly. It'll be so dense and full of lies about God and ourselves and others. But the good news is that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, face sin and death and the lies of the devil and is victorious and we get to be victorious with him. So filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a people who cry out, I was blind, but now I see. I was a captive, but now I'm free. And I was hopeless, but now I live with joy. And I can give away my tunic. <laughs> I can give away my tunic to my enemy because I don't need anything from my enemy because I got it all from Jesus. That's good news. You are good news. Gospel saturation in the city is just you. It's just you. We're going to come up here and take communion together um, as victors. So receive the blood and body of Christ as a reminder of the victory, as a reminder of the good news that we have been set free. The bad news is here, but it's not going to win. Right, Odge? You got it. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to start worship, yeah, and then come on up at your own time and take your communion, and, and then Andrew will bless us as we go. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.